Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Welcome to the second week in our study through the Gospel of John, where we are looking at um, what John says was written that you may believe. And John, in this gospel, we're going to see evidence about who Jesus really is, the Son of God, God in flesh, dwelling among us, and what we're called to believe, that Jesus is who he says he is, and upon believing, receive life, life abundant and life everlasting. Today, as we look into John's second chapter, I want you to imagine with me a meeting taking place in heaven. All right, everyone's there. God is there, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All of the angels are there. The agenda for the meeting is to determine what would be the first miracle that Jesus does to inaugurate his ministry on earth and announce that the Messiah has come. Michael the the archangel is is chairing the meeting. He's facilitating. And one angel raises his hand. Michael calls on him, go ahead. And he speaks up and he says, well, if we want to open the eyes of the world... Why not just heal a blind man? That seems to be literally the point. That like open his eyes literally. There, open your eyes. Now you see who I am. Oh, this plan had many merits and the group really liked it. Another offered a bigger plan. He said, wait, 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 wait. What if he raised someone from the dead? Not just opened the eyes of a blind man, but brought someone that was dead back to life. Boy, now that would be an eye-opener. That's something you couldn't miss. The idea began to pick up steam. And one said, wait, wait, wait. What about raising a whole cemetery of dead people? I mean, let's just go for it. Imagine seeing that. More voices chimed in. Maybe he should do something for the living. Like, like maybe feed the whole city. That would be impressive. Someone, what about if he healed all the sick people in Jerusalem? Just the whole city healed. People would notice that. And then finally someone said, wait. Why not just rid the whole world of evil in one act? Just bam. Nothing but goodness and righteousness. Wouldn't that be something? And the group loved it. And they said, okay, Michael, go ahead and call it. We think we're ready to vote. That was a pretty good last idea. Then Jesus spoke up. And he says, you know, those are all fantastic ideas. As a matter of fact, we may use some of those later on. Some of them. But, you know, we've... We've been talking and we have a little bit different plan. It is our tradition to honor the Word of God by standing when we read it to begin. Um, And so, if you would, if you are able, stand 
while we read the Word of God together from John's second gospel, Jesus' first miracle on earth to inaugurate his ministry from John's gospel, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water, water jugs, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Heavenly Father, help us to see you. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to get a glimpse of your glory. God, let us be blown away by your ability to transform Because it's this same ability that's going to give us hope. That you can turn water into wine, you can turn stones into bread, you can turn sinners into saints. And Father, we thank you for it. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so in some ways, the first miracle is, okay, bear with me, a little underwhelming. When you think about what it could have been, when you think about what's to come, I mean, if you talk about resurrecting Lazarus, this one seems a little bit smaller than that. It's a little odd. First off, Cana is a little bit of a weird place to start. Cana in Galilee is not a big place, is not an important place. Add that to the fact that even Jesus admits that the timing's a little off. Right? She says, hey, you should do something. He says, well, it's not my time yet. All right, and then he does something. And then you consider the audience. Well, the audience is a, I don't know, a little bit of a smaller audience. You figure if you wanted to show the world that the Messiah had come, that the Son of God was present, you might have chosen a slightly bigger occasion. I mean, think about it. Jesus has waited almost 30 years in obscurity to begin his ministry. And he starts 
at a wedding where he's not even the officiant. But weddings are interesting business in Scripture. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever put this together, but if you're reading in Genesis 1 and you're reading about creation, once creation is finished, the first thing that gets talked about is a wedding. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and they'll be married. Because the first thing that gets talked to right out of the gate is a wedding. Right after we get creation, if you're following along and you read through Scripture, you'll find out actually the last thing that gets talked about is a wedding when the bridegroom returns and says, all has been prepared. Okay, weddings begin and end this thing. And as a matter of fact, there's several interesting weddings along the way, like this one. Let's go back and read through it a little bit. John chapter 2 and verse 1. On the third day a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, so he came with mom. And Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, here is Jesus at a wedding celebration. And I will tell you, this wedding celebration is a good one. Adam, how do you know that? What did they run out of? This is a party. Now, I know, I know, I know there are some Christians who suffer from a grave case of Christian seriousness who do not want to imagine Jesus at a party, but I'm just reading the Bible to you. The Lord is in the middle. He shows up and reveals himself as the Lord in the middle of a good time. Not a church service. Not an elders meeting for sure. But a wedding party. With wine. And let me, let me go even further. We are Christians. And it ought to be offensive to us to sit in the middle of God's goodness and his provision with a stern look on our face and a grim outlook. Do we believe that God is good? We believe that God is the one who brings dead folks back to life. Amen? You're not a Christian because you attend church often enough. You're not a Christian because you, you give generously and regularly, although you ought to do that. <laughs> You're a Christian because you believe that something was dead on Friday and was alive on Sunday. So why the long faces, Christians? Embrace your joy. I, if, I'll tell you what, Kenny, if I, were, if, 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 I were, if I were really going after, I'd tell them, why don't they put their hands together and show me how Christian they are? Yes. You see, in Bible times, a wedding in Jewish culture was a big deal. It was a massive week-long party that was at least a year in the making. 
You see, betrothal or engagement was a year-long process. That once a couple was engaged, once they were betrothed, the groom had a year to get everything ready for their life together. That would include things like making sure the finances were kind of in place. That would include things like, as a matter of fact, they would even build, he would, it was his job to build a place for them to live. Now that may be their own home. Or it might be a room that was built, most often it was a room built onto his family's home so that they would have a place to stay when she moved in with him. And on top of that, see all of you, all of you like parents of daughters are about to be frustrated that we didn't keep this going. And... It was the husband's job to make sure all of the preparations were made and completed for the wedding ceremony. Now remember that, think about that. (laughs) Because verse 3 hits a little different when you know that. When the wine was gone, this is not a good moment. He's had a year to prove that he can get everything ready for their life together, and he didn't even make it out of the first day. You catch it? He runs out, you were supposed to prepare for the wedding. You couldn't even get the wedding preparations done. Are you sure you're ready to be married? This is an embarrassing situation for this young man because he's failed at one of the biggest, most important tasks that's very public. It's so bad that even Mary's got to mention something. And she comes in and she says, well... They're out of wine. How could he let this happen? Didn't he know that there were a lot of people coming? Didn't he check the website to see all the RSVPs? (laughs) Didn't he know how much he needed to ensure that the party wouldn't stop? Let's, let's, <clears throat> let's be real for a minute together, okay? In reality, meaning in the world you and I live in, in our lives, it seems true to me that no matter how good the party is, how long the party lasts, or how well prepared you are, sooner or later, the wine will run out. Now, I'm not sure all of you heard me there. That here among the faithful, it is time to realize and acknowledge that eventually in our own lives, sometimes the wine runs out. Because what used to bring us joy brings us stress and unease. That if you live long enough, you will experience 
your resources coming up short. Didn't we see it coming? Didn't we know what we needed? Where did the wine go? How do we sustain ourselves, our faith, our lives, the party, our relationships? How do we sustain it with just water? I've been doing a little research. I don't like wine. I never really have. It's just not a taste that worked for me. And people said, maybe, maybe it'll grow on you. I, I tried Dr. Pepper once <clears throat> and loved it. I don't need something to grow on me if I've got Dr. Pepper. And it's cheap. Anyway, I could, that's a whole sermon of its own. But I did a little research, and I, I, I tried to figure out what's in wine. Did you know that every bottle of wine, and I'm going with this, every bottle of wine has at least 60% water. Now, see, here's, here's how I know we're learning, <clears throat> because y'all just missed your shout. If, you, if, you were, if you're with me, every bottle of wine has at least 60% water, which means you will never have wine without water. And in Christ, within every glass of water, there's the potential for wine. Now, because we don't have vision, we resent water every time. Losing sight of the fact that God is not done. We resent water in our life, losing sight of the fact that God is not finished yet. That our God can take rags and rocks and make giants fall. That our God can take fish and loaves and feed multitudes. Surely God can take the water in your life and make wine from it. The truth is that somewhere in the things that we wish we could give away are the things that God will use to change your whole life. That man may seem imperfect. but there's wine in him. And that woman may make you mad sometimes, but there's wine in her. And those kids, y'all just happened to be where I was pointing. I wouldn't. <clears throat> those kids may be irresponsible and may sometimes make bad choices that have, and, they, and those may have hurt you and hurt them, but I tell you, there is wine in them. And the situation you're in may seem dire, but there's wine in it, I promise. And maybe Mary knows it because she says, oh, they're out of wine. 
That's all. She actually doesn't ask him to do anything, does she? She just notices and says what I'll tell you everyone else at the party was saying. Did you hear they ran out of wine? Jesus, there's no more wine. Jesus' response in verse 4 is more than a little interesting. (laughs) Woman, why do you involve me? Okay. (laughs) Like, I want to ask a question. Just, Just the moms get to answer. Is there any cultural gymnastics and linguistic gymnastics I could do that doesn't make that sound at least a little grumpy? It sounds a little grumpy. It's like, Jesus, are you having a bad day? Like, your mom just said they're out of wine. Like, you didn't need to... First of all, you went woman. Now, and and I, get it, I get it. That doesn't sound as bad as it sounds today, but it doesn't sound great. And then it's, it's interesting because what he, actually, what, what he actually says, he says, woman, and, and, and I'm like, Jesus, is that how you talk to your mom? And he's like, yeah. He says, what does this have to do with me, literally? Why do you involve me? What, what he says is, what does this have to do with me? And now, get this. Literally in the Greek, that's, that's an idiomatic expression. Here's what it says literally. It says literally, what do we have in common? Tina, what, what do we have in common? And, and, and it's his way of saying, you know, your concerns are not my concerns. What you're seeing is not what I'm seeing. What you're talking about is not what I'm talking about. What, what do we even have in common in this? And he, then he tells her why he's not seeing it the same way. He says, my time has not yet come. Now in this phrase, whatever it means, in this phrase though, you see right on the front end that Jesus is aware of his time and that it's coming. It's on the way. Meaning, it's in this phrase that we see clearly that Jesus is singularly focused on his calling. That he knows that this miracle will take the lid off of the world's greatest and most important secret. And that this miracle, the larger plan of God's life will come to fruition leading to his death on the cross. Now I thank God for mom's wisdom and for mom's response. She doesn't lead with watch your tone. <clears throat> she, uh, mm, my mom, mm, I'd have had a bloody lip. It would have just been a smack, but she'd have managed to have that ring turn just the right way. <laughs> And she would have said, not today. Not like that. That's not what Mary, Mary just, 
Mary just says, okay, Jesus, do whatever he tells you. She knows him. She knows her son. She's, she's, she's heard his peace, and then she says, okay, do whatever he tells you. I have faith this will be all right. Mary's, Mary understands that Jesus' wisdom and relationship with God the Father is unique, that he is amazing and he is capable. And so Jesus starts to give some commands. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Twenty to thirty gallons each. Now, notice that's going to be a hundred and twenty to a hundred and eighty gallons of wine. And you still get folks saying, "Well, in in that time they cut it with water." That's a hundred and eighty (laughs) gallons. That is a lot. tell you what I noticed that, that kind of jumps out of me that I never noticed before, and that's that, what are these jars used for? Ceremonial washing. These are the jars that are used for purification. Yes. And he says, I want you to fill them to the brim. <clears throat> and they fill them to the brim. Now, don't miss this. It was still water when they filled them up. It it was still water when they filled them up. You don't have to wait for wine in order to be full. Come on now. (laughs) This is getting real. You don't have to wait for it to be wine in order for it to be full. Even when you're waiting for what you want, you can learn to be full right now. I know you want that wine life, but if you have no wine, fill it with water. And the challenge is to learn how to be full even when we're waiting for what we really want. When you're empty, you're at your most vulnerable. When you're full, though, you are not easily prey for that foolishness. I'm not here to get something for which I can be thankful. I'm here to be thankful for what I've already got. He told them, fill it up with water, what they didn't want. They're out of wine. What they want is wine, and he says, fill it up with water. He tells them to fill it up with what they didn't want until they received what they wanted. Now, church, there is a sermon that I'm preaching to y'all. Are you hearing it? Then the miracle takes place. He says in verse 8, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. 
You see the obedience of the servants? As they draw that liquid up. Now, bear in mind, the disciples are guests. The servants are not. These are not followers of Jesus, not yet. He says, I want you to draw it up and take it to the master of the banquet. And and they have, you gotta think they're wondering, what in the world are we doing here? Because I know what I just put in there. This is, I was the one responsible for putting the water in the jar. Now you're having me scoop some out of the jar. I can tell you what it is. They're asking the question, what in the world are we doing? But they still obey. They know what they put into the barrels was water. Now they ladle some up for their boss. And this is cool to note. The first people who get to experience the glory and power of Jesus are servants. Servants at the party. Not nobility, not royalty, not even the couple getting married. The first people who get to experience the coming glory of the Messiah are the servants who are obedient. Preach, preacher. I don't know about you, but I like the way this is going. It comes to the master of the banquet in verse 9. Master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine somewhere between the jar and his mouth. A miracle takes place. Because it was water when they put it in. But by the time he tastes it, it had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. (laughs) It was water when they drew it. It was water in the jar. It was water when they drew it. But when the master of the banquet tastes it, it's wine. He calls the bridegroom aside and he says, you know, everyone else brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the the guests have had a little too much to drink and they won't know the difference. But you, you've saved the best till now. The master of the banquet tastes what they bring him and he's impressed. This is the best wine. And he says, it's abnormal to save the best for last. You see, it's turned the groom's humiliation into a legendary party that will make his reputation forever. I love verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Evidence. Belief. Life. The sign manifests Jesus' glory and provides evidence and his disciples believe in him. Okay, but why this, Adam? Why choose this as the first miracle? Jesus' first miracle 
keeps the party going. It is a miracle of perpetual joy. Jesus' first miracle reveals himself as the source of true and lasting joy. And my problem is that I'm too willing to settle for the cheap wine. And Jesus is asking us to replace the cheap wine. Because what Jesus is providing us is so much better than what was before. That the same Jesus who turned water into wine, who turned stones into bread, who turned mourning into dancing, can turn sinners into saints. Maybe we need to remind the person next to us, I got wine in me. You can do that. Go ahead and tell them, I got wine in me. Okay, now you need to tell them, and you got wine in you. And maybe, maybe we need to tell ourselves, I got wine in me, because some of you didn't believe it yet. You're saying, nope, feels like completely water. Maybe we need to tell ourselves and remind ourselves that before it's all over, I'll be better than this. Amen? Amen. I'll be better than this. Can you go ahead and bring your team up? I mentioned this earlier, but I have to come back to it because the news is so good. At the end of the age... When Christ returns, there's a party, and it's a wedding. And the groom is Jesus, and the bride is his church. And he has spent the time preparing for us to join him, providing for us so that the celebration will last forever. The wine will not run out. The food will not run out. The joy will never end. The question is, will you be there? Will you be there? Have you met the groom yet? If you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to meet the groom that's going to be there. I want you to meet the one who's been preparing a place for us that will never fade, that's going to last forever. I want you to meet Christ in the waters of baptism and surrender yourself today. If you know him, but you're saying, maybe, maybe I've gotten sidetracked and I've not been really paying attention, then if you want to recommit your life, we want you to recommit your life to Christ. I don't want you to miss a moment of the joy that God has given us. 
And so when we stand here in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you, if you want to come to him, if you want to recommit your life, if you need to say, I need prayer, whatever it is, I want you to come while we stand and we're going to sing. And I'm going to be right here. Go ahead and stand up and get ready. And pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you because I know that it's, it, you're not finished with me. And I know that I've not been thankful for the water in my life, God. But I know that in you, every water in my life has the propensity to become wine. And God, I pray. I pray that I can hold on and trust you, knowing that your work's not done that I am yours and yours alone and yours forever because I am loved and I am chosen by you. God, we give ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, name. amen. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.